Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar Magazine, sponsored by Phi Beta Kappa. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastek. As of this summer's Tokyo Games, skateboarding is an Olympic sport. And those of us who didn't grow up popping ollies and skinning our knees might be wondering how that happened. Originally known as sidewalk surfing, skateboarding was invented in mid-century California and Hawaii by surfers looking for something to do when the waves weren't great. And since the first commercial skateboard was sold in 1962, the sport has ballooned to a billion-dollar industry, including magazines, movies, and merchandise. Kyle Beachy, the author of The Most Fun Thing, Dispatches from a Skateboard Life, and a devoted skateboarder and skateboarding critic himself, joins the podcast to explain how the pastime became a global sensation. Thanks so much for talking to me about skateboarding, Kyle. Totally my pleasure. I think. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) So I am actually struggling to remember if I've ever been on a skateboard. So we'll see how fun it is for you to explain all of this stuff. But uh, (laughs) well, what got you into skateboarding back in the day? That's a really good question. That's really hard to say. I think, you know, in the one of the things I say in the book is kind of charting the history of skateboarding very loosely. Um, And in the middle 1980s, it was in one of these kind of sine cosine sort of peaks, right? Um, And so you saw things like Marnie McFly in Back to the Future predominantly featuring a skateboard as part of the action. Um, And they were just kind of in the air, I think, in the the 1980s. It was that era of fluorescence um, and big air on half-pipe competitions that were um, you know, there were there would be like road tours that would travel the country and do demos um, for kids like me. And so I think I just kind of caught the bug like a lot of predominantly male kids did in the 1980s. And it just stuck. It stuck in a way that other things didn't really stick with me. Yeah, I think what's kind of unusual is that you've stuck with it well into your right. 40s and, are, you know, Unlike Tony Hawk, the one pro skater that I can name, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're not professional and weren't, you know, paid to pop wheelies. Yeah. So, like, why did you stick with it for so long? I mean, I, I guess that's kind of the the twenty dollar question, really. Um, why did I stay with it so long? Why would I stay with a thing that, on one hand, totally um, abuses my body, right? being a teacher and having, you know, vulnerable scabs on my elbows and and bumping against a lectern and suddenly your elbows bleeding in the middle of a lecture. Like that's not advantageous. That doesn't make me a better teacher, Um, nor does it has it made me over my life a better romantic partner. Right. Here is this thing that draws me away from whatever my domestic situation is. It draws me out into the world, um, sometimes for extended periods, Um, you know, trips that I'll take expressly for um, doing skateboarding. Uh, So it's a big question. And I guess that sort of fuels um, the interrogation and the meditation that this book is like, what is this thing giving me? Like, what, it, what is it um, that I'm finding in this activity that is damaging? And that, you know, it shows no promise of monetary reward, right? I mean, I, it's not as if I was pursuing a dream of becoming a professional skateboarder. I was never 
a threat to any other professional skateboarders. I've always been, a, you know, a pretty okay skater. Like I'm, I'm pretty okay. And, you know, I've had little flashes where I've thought at times, maybe I could get sponsored by like a local shop. Um, maybe I could get discounts on skateboards, but there was never any sort of promise of actual monetary reward and certainly not something that could sustain a life. So yeah, I mean, that's it. That's the question. And, you know, it at once anchors me in reality and gives me a way to um, see that reality differently. You said it didn't make you a better partner necessarily or a better mm-hmm. teacher, but do you feel like it's made you a better person? Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it has enriched me. I think you know, like any practice that one maintains for 30 plus years, you know, if you can find a thing um, that that is enticing enough or mysterious enough or rewarding enough that you will continue doing it for 30 plus years, I don't know that there's any practice aside from the overtly like damaging practices like cruelty that that wouldn't in some way um, make you a better person, right? It just just devotion, um, just openness to what a thing yields, right? I mean, I think being a curious person makes you a better person. And I think skateboarding has made me curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things, too, is that, I mean, and I'm a total neophyte, but when I think of skateboarding, I don't think of writing or like mm-hmm. the great skateboarding novels or even skateboarding essays. Mm-hmm. I think about video. I think about yeah. like MTV. I think about Tony Hawk. What kind of like media surrounds skateboarding and like how does writing about it feel given whatever else is out there about skateboarding? Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is a it's a visual medium, right? I mean, it's it, people who people who do not engage the activity regularly will know of it as video. Um and for a while there, there was a period, you know, in the late 90s, early aughts, where what people who were neophytes to skateboarding knew of it was essentially failure, right? And like rambunctious failure, due largely to like jackass and the phenomenon of Van Margera and more. Um, I think secondarily, and you said it yourself, what people will know is Tony Hawk, because um, what people will sort of latch on to who aren't engaged in the practice in their own sort of life will latch on to is the sort of spectacular element of it, right? I mean, it's it's height, it's speed, it's acrobatics, it's gymnastics, it's moves that it's a body moving in ways that we don't normally see a body move. And so there's a real kind of visual candy element to skateboarding. In terms of my relationship to those videos, I mean, one way to look at this book is to say it's a collection of essentially criticism of skateboard films, right? I mean, that's how the project started. It was it was subjecting skateboard films to the kind of close watching and close reading um, that we associate normally with, um, you know, cinematic critique. Um, in terms of writing, you know, historically, our options within the world of skateboarding have been pretty slim. It's pretty sparse pickings. Uh, we have a, a great kind of bank of literature that's been amassed, but it's been mostly of 
you know, one of maybe four or five kind of types of riding. And one of those is the interview um, of the professional skater. Another one is the tour article. Like, here's the story of when a bunch of skaters showed up in Des Moines, Iowa, and and what occurred once they were there. Um, maybe we'll get like a spot sort of a scene checkout where we'll write about a particular city and what sort of skateboarding is there. Um, but beyond that, you know, it's essentially making legends out of professionals, right? It's mythologizing. Um, and, and what has been missing for the most part for me has been, as I've said, interrogation. Like there just hasn't been a lot of question asking. We might say, hey, this thing is really incredible, um, but we never really will, or we haven't had a history of um, going the next step and saying, well, why? What is it about this? What is it about this thing that we all like so much? And so performing that kind of just the basic level critique of the art object that is a skateboard video for me uh, at the outset felt kind of radical. So what parts go into a skateboard video? Mm -hmm. I am completely unfamiliar. So a skateboard video in the traditional format, now a lot of this has been upset by the... I'm going to say the ad, the, the advent of the internet, right? I want to I want to sound very old <laughs> as, as I as I speak of this, um, but it is true. You know, the the change in uh, media in the last ten years has been revolutionary for skateboard media. Um, but traditionally, the shape of a skateboard video, the form has been a kind of an opening montage that introduces you to who the skaters are, where they are, and, and importantly, what company they ride for. Because the other thing about a skateboard video is that it's always promotional, right? For, for the bulk of skateboard history, they've been both sort of entertainment and advertisement. There's, there's always been this marriage of those two. It's never been a pure thing um, because they require funding and because these skaters require equipment to use when they go out um, and do the skateboarding and so funding and representation of brands has always been a part of a skateboard video um but back to the form it's usually a sort of general introduction and then you'll have x number of individual parts um, which will be somewhere between one and a half and five minutes of each individual skater essentially all of their best footage edited into a kind of highlight reel and set to a song um, and, you know, for a long time, these films, these two or three minutes of footage would take skaters two or three years to amass because as, you know, popular jokes have reminded us over and over again that skateboarders fail, like failure is the sort of dominant activity of what we call skateboarding. And so there is a lot of failure. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of bleeding. Um, and then what you walk away with is this sort of succinct encapsulation of two years of a skater's life set to music and those then are then all kind of edited together and you'll have a 30 to 60 minute object and that's a movie a skate film wow that is longer than i thought it was going to be i thought this was going to be like 10 minutes well they are now i mean that's the thing is that one of the things that you know the the advent of the internet has given us is um a, a different expectation and different attention spans. And so when a movie now, when a skate movie comes out now that's in that model that, that really like defined what a skate film is and is 40 to 60 minutes, it feels just onerous. It feels like an outrageous request on our time and attention. And so 
we do see more 10 minute sort of videos. I think the sweet spot really for escape video today, like what feels to me a, a really kind of substantial work is, is probably about 12 minutes. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you say about everything kind of being sponsored mm -hmm. or associated with a skate brand. Um, because, I mean, skateboarding in a lot of ways reminds me of punk rock in that it is also like situated against the mainstream, also the 80s. But <laughs> but it just makes me wonder, you know, punk rock had zines. Punk rock had a lot of like mm -hmm. people playing on like really crappy equipment. Can you just not do that in skateboarding? Like, were there no zines? Were there no kids who were like, whatever, I'll make my own board, man? Oh, no, there's been, there's been a rich, rich, rich history of a kind of DIY ethic that, that does in some very key ways overlap with punk. Um, not just spiritually, but actually there's a lot of crossover um, between kind of the punk zine culture and skate zine culture of, you know, the 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, you know, in terms of equipment, it's tough, right? I mean, it's it's tough to skate on um, worn down and, you know, low quality skateboards. Like there, there's really no, there's, there's less joy to be found on a board that has very terrible bearings in its wheels or bearings that have sat out in the rain. And so, yes, you will see a lot of kids on kind of banged up gear, um, but the result of that is not like, whoa, check out how hardcore that skater is, how devoted they are. It's much more like, hey, let's figure out a way to get this kid some new equipment because this has got to be miserable. Um, but, you know, back to the zine thing, there, there is just a there's a massive thread of skate culture that is DIY. I mean, I think you see it more these days in terms of creating spaces, right, with you know, unloved, abandoned lots in the middle of a city that maybe the city owns, maybe a private landowner is in charge of maintaining and doesn't care because they're collecting a tax refund or whatever, a tax rebate because they have this lot in the city. Um, and you'll see a lot. There's a there's a big strain of skaters going into this spaces and making concrete obstacles and sort of occupying it in ways that either the city or the private landowner doesn't want to do. So there is a thread there. And, and there is, I think, a lot to be learned about skateboarding from an understanding of punk. Do you feel like that changed? You know, do you feel like it was commodified or like there was some kind of sellout moment in skateboarding culture? I mean, if if punk really died the moment that Lust for Life became a Carnival Cruise jingle, um, I don't know that you could point to a moment like that in skateboarding. Maybe if there's one, it's Tony Hawk becoming a, a spokesperson for Bagel Bites. Um, that was a real moment of like, what is going on with this culture? Um, but but on the other hand, you know, unlike punk, skateboarding has an expansiveness, right? Skateboarding is broad enough and um, expansive enough to allow for a strain of it to be very culturally mainstream, for there to be skaters um, who have no problem um, being sponsored by Chipotle or have no problem taking money from Monster Energy or have no problem um, showing up as, you know, skater number two in a film just to collect a paycheck. Um, I don't, skateboarding no longer uh, is super interested in pointing the finger and saying, you're not skate enough, um, at least at ourselves. Like that's, that's just, that's been kind of weaned out of the culture. Um, and, and I think for good, right? I mean, the sort of gatekeeping that comes of that 
of course, comes down to who's doing the gatekeeping and who they believe should be let in. Um, and I think within skateboarding, particularly in the last 10 years, those gates have more or less fallen away. Um, and for the betterment of skateboarding, because now skateboarding is most interesting because of the d diversity of people who are doing it and doing it differently. Well, what excites you the most about the, the gates coming down and more people having access to skateboarding and it being available for people to experience? That's a that's a great question. It's a hard one to answer um, because it's it's a circular answer. Like <laughs> my answer for that is, well, it's it's rad. Like watch, you know, watch, watch women skate, watch women skate in the Olympics and try to tell me it's not more interesting and more compelling than the men. Um, go and hang out at um, Rockridge Curbs in Oakland on any night of the week and try to tell me that it's not a cooler scene because of the queer and trans and inclusive communities that have really made a, a space for themselves there. Be a skater who skated for a period of time and go to any park now and see the diversity of the people who are doing it and try not to be stoked. Like it's impossible. You would have to be the worst curmudgeon in the world. And so the, the answer is a, a circular one, but it's one that taps into kind of th that basic question of what makes a thing rad. And, and the answer is, is like, well, it's, it feels great to see. Like seeing the inclusivity of it these days feels exciting. It feels like there's promise. It doesn't feel terminal. Um, and, you know, we could say, well, part of that is because um, people are, are skating differently. There's more creativity. There's a looseness. It's not just bigger, faster, gnarlier all the time. It's um, weirder, stranger, and wackier. Um, but really, you know, I think the better answer and the one I stick by is, well, it's obviously radder. It's radder when there are different people doing a thing. I mean, how did that happen? Because I think you're right. There definitely was a period where skateboarding was sticking it to mainstream culture. And then yeah. it kind of became mainstream culture in a lot of ways. Like, mm -hmm. he was a skater boy. She said, see you later, boy, for right. example. But just, also... <laughs> just picking one out of the air. Just Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, also that it is mostly straight white men from the suburbs who were associated mm -hmm. with skateboarding during a particular period, mm -hmm. even if that wasn't really how it started, even right. if there were, you know, black skateboarders in the 80s or earlier, mm -hmm. it did have that reputation. So how did that change? Like, how did the culture change and how different is it really? Well, I guess one of the, the first question would be, it had that reputation among whom, right? I mean, and the answer is it had that reputation among other people in the suburbs. It had that reputation among other um, straight white men and women in the suburbs. Like that was the idea that we crafted about skateboarding because that's what we saw. You know, I don't I don't think anyone skating in New York City in the late 1980s would have any idea that skateboarding um was a thing that uh, belonged to straight white boys in the suburbs. I mean, I think they just wouldn't have. Nor, you know, to to give credit where it's due, nor would some of the originating, original sort of skaters out of our kind of most mythologized Dogtown era of the 1970s, right? I mean, that, that was not a purely white and purely male group of skaters. Um, it's that, that's the story we sort of latched onto, and that's kind of what we have made of it. And so I think there is this way that, even though it's never really been that, it part of the ways that broader culture has 
made humor of skateboarding or disparaged it or in some ways found a way to critique it has been like, well, it's just like skater boys in driveways in, you know, Marietta, Georgia or outside of Cincinnati or wherever. And I don't think it's ever really been that only. Um, so that's that. The second part of the question, like, how did it happen that it became something bigger? I think it's, and here's where like the, the sort of sirens and alarms start going off for, um, people who maybe haven't spent a lot of time with skateboarding. I think there is something profoundly unique and special about the activity. Um, I think that the activity is a practice um, as rewarding as the martial arts, as rewarding as the pursuits of music, as writing and reading and being among literature and other forms of art. I believe that skateboarding is every bit as rich as any of those. And so the question of like, well, how did how did the gates fall down? I mean, eventually, if something is unique enough and something withstands popular culture, discarding it and setting it to the side, picking it up, running around with it, eventually enough people are going to get a kind of whiff of it and discover for themselves what's special. I mean, I, I think it might just be that simple. I think skateboarding might be that special. And that's really just it. People love it because it's a magical experience. It's, an, it's a way to engage architecture and space um, and to understand one's body in ways that the world doesn't really tell us to do much, right? I mean, I think just at a basic level, people want that. People don't find that in a lot of spaces in contemporary culture. We don't get a lot of the body. We're not reminded of our body. And I think that's it. We have links in the show notes to Kyle Beachy's new book, The Most Fun Thing, Dispatches from a Skateboard Life, as well as three skate films that he recommends for a taste of the form. We'll be back next week. Till then, take care and stay sharp. <laughs>